This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Naturalist Journeys, carefully crafting birding and wildlife tours since 1998. For more information, go to www.naturalistjourneys.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast. I'm Nate Swick, editor of the ABA blog and your host. We have a big episode here this time around featuring all the major players in 2016's exciting big year attempts, all successful, by the way, to break the previous big year record set in 2013 by Neil Hayward. And because we try to pack so much in, this episode is going to run a little bit longer than our previous episode, about 10 or 15 minutes or so. You might say that this is the greater episode to our typical lesser episodes. They're very similar. The differences are are really subtle. The important field mark here that you're going to want to be looking for is that number at the end. Uh, you'll notice a little bit larger. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk to Neil Hayward, the previous record holder, about his book and his thoughts on his record being broken. Then we'll line up Christian Hagenlocker, Laura Keene, Olaf Danielson, and John Wagle to talk to them about 2016. It, it is a murderer's row of big year birders, and they all have some really interesting things to say about this their year, about perception of big years and coming down from bird finding, and about all the adventures that they had. So I'm going to try and keep this opening segment to a minimum so we can get right into it, but I do want to announce one thing. The ABA is having a membership drive and there's a prize join or renew your membership by february 28th 2017 and you'll be entered in a drawing to win a pair of leica trinavid hd binoculars now these are the the new trinavids that leica came out with last year and i have had the opportunity to use these binoculars and i can tell you that they're they're really great and the sort of thing that you expect from leica of course anyway join or renew at aba.org join and you could be entered to win them so that's that. We'll hear from the big year birders coming up. But first, here's the latest in ABA area rare birds. This is your rare bird retrospective for the period through the third week of January 2017. Most of the action was happening out west this period, highlighted by the presence in California of two rare gulls on the central coast. A sharp young black-tailed gull was reliable near Monterey for the whole period, and a stunning Ross's gull entertained birders in Half Moon Bay, just south of San Francisco, until it was unfortunately taken by one of the resident peregrine falcons, a rather sad end to an amazing visitor. A pair of pink-footed geese near Saanich, British Columbia would represent the first provincial record of this Eurasian waterfowl. This formerly rare species has been annual and increasing numbers in the northeast of the ABA area, but records in the west are almost unheard of, or when they do occur, they are often written off as escapees from captivity. The very small handful of records of this species in the west might need to be re-evaluated in light of this occurrence. Washington had its fifth record of falcated duck, a male in Skagit County near the BC border. This East Asian species often shows up in the ABA area among flocks of Eurasian widgeon, and this one was no different. Both Texas and Arizona had rose-throated beckard this week. This is a species that used to be fairly regular in the ABA area a couple decades ago, but reports have really dried up in recent years, and it is semi-annual at best along the southern border. Both Kansas and Nebraska enjoyed Golden Crown Sparrows this week, and in Nebraska had a brambling in Sarpy County that visited a feeder for a few days before disappearing and then turning up four miles down the road at another feeder. This is only a brief roundup of the most interesting bird reports of the period for a more comprehensive look at all the ABA area rarities. Check out the Rare Bird Alert on the ABA blog every Friday morning, and for day-to-day or even minute-to-minute updates on notable rare birds across the ABA area, join the ABA Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash ABA Rare. In 
2013, Neil Hayward set a new record for an ABA area big year, breaking the 25-year-old mark set by Sandy Comito. We all followed along on his blog, Accidental Big Year, a lot of which was incorporated into a memoir, Lost Among the Birds, which was published last summer. When I spoke with him last October, I started by asking him how he turned that blog into a really compelling story. A quick side note, while I was speaking to Neil, his cat, Kiva Cat, was wandering around nearby, so if you hear any weird noises, that's that's what it is. If you've read the book, you know that Kiva Cat plays a small but important role, so it's appropriate that it was sort of involved. Anyway, here's Neil. It wasn't intentional. I started out writing about just about the birds that I saw, and even as a hardcore birder, I got pretty bored pretty quickly. Um, you're right, it's very, it's very easy to get bored just writing about, I went here and saw this and this, and even for the blog, it was... It was always a challenge, you know, it's always a binary decision. You go and chase a bird, either you see it or you don't. And how do you make a story out of that? And I think the, the personal stuff just crept in. The more I realized that actually the big year wasn't so much about seeing lots of birds, but it was about me sort of going through a midlife crisis, trying to understand what I was, what I was doing in my life, um, trying to come to terms with um, a new relationship and how that might play out. And I talk in the book about, about depression and, and um, dealing with that and I think the realization of the, the, the sort of cathartic and, and the, the healing nature that the birding played in that. Um, so really that was a big part of the, the birding year. And as I wrote about it, I realized the importance of that and those other strands coming together. So it was kind of hard writing the book without including that. Right. You, you do a really great job sharing some of the personalities in the birding world. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the book was because um, – you know, not only were a lot of the places that you went so familiar to people who are kind of interested in birds, uh, but also the people that were involved as well. Did you come away from that big year and sort of the larger process of writing a book about it with any sort of insights into the state of the birding community? I think one of the general things that I noticed, you know, I grew up in the UK um, where birding is, I think, a lot more competitive. And I think one of the, one of the really nice revelations is just how friendly um, birders were here. You know, I, I, for those people who've seen the big year movie, you might come away with the idea that it's a very competitive landscape. Um, and I never felt like that. I, I felt like, you know, you're competing against yourself and everyone tries to help you do that. Um, so I made some great friends that year, um, people that I'm still birding with now and, and uh, spend time with. So that, that was a really great part of the year. I think I was sort of humbled by the passion and excitement that birders felt in this country. And there were very few places I went where I didn't meet birders in some form or another. I'd go to you know, I go to airports and, and rent cars and people would ask me where I was driving to and I'd tell them and they would sort of ask about the birds there and then they'd tell me about the birds in their yard. You know, it, it, it was an easy way of making friends and, and talking to people and, and and just getting a great insight into the number of people that do care about birds and care about the environment. Well, I think there was also, um, you know, people were following along with your big year uh, on your blog and there was a real sense of where almost where you were bringing us all along together. Um, I know that uh, for me, I, you know, I got to play a small role in your big year. And so it was really, you know, satisfying to be able to be a part of your story. And I'm sure a lot of other people felt that way as well. Even even still, you know, people talk about meeting Neil Hayward somewhere along in 2013, somewhere along the way. Um, it, it was really nice to be able to think that, you know, we're, we're sort of all in this together. Yeah, I, you're right. There's lots of there's lots of birds in the book, but also you know a lot of uh, it's a great cross section of, of American birders as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're right, there are a lot of people that were involved in the story, and uh, it was a lot of fun meeting them and and fun writing about them as well. I'm sure. 
Um, so, you know, we're in the middle of a, another big year story in 2016. Uh, it almost feels like uh, you having broken Sandy's record, which for a long time felt sort of impossible, that you sort of cracked the seal on big year attempts. Um, do you feel any little bit of disappointment that your total only lasted a few years? <laughs> or is it satisfying to see these birders take what you did and, and build on it? I think I think both of those. Um, I, I, I kind of thought it might last a bit longer than two years, but um, <laughs> uh, I didn't expect it to be 15 years like Sandy. I've been involved with all those birders and, and uh, you know, they've asked my advice and, uh, you know, I've met all of them this year and birded with a lot of them um, throughout this year. So it's really exciting to see what they're doing and and seeing them do it properly. You know, I didn't start my big year on January 1st and uh, mine really was very accidental and uh, it's nice to see how it should be done. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited by what's happening. I think I think my big year really inspired other people to, to realize that you could get those types of numbers. And you're right. People did think that, you know, Sandy Camilo's record was unbreakable. And uh, well, the reality is that back in 2011, John Vanderpool came very close. And it's true. there were a bunch of those that were added in 2013 and, and actually 2012 that, you know, if he'd have had those in 2011, he would have, he would have broken the record as well. So, so I think... Um, Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't just me, but it was John Vanderbilt who really showed that, that those types of numbers were possible, even without getting to Atu. Christian Hagenlocker spent most of 2016 living out of his car, traveling around the ABA area seeing as many birds as possible for his birding project initiative. Eventually, he found himself within striking distance of the ABA area record, and in doing so, became the youngest person to crack 700 in the ABA area in a single year. I asked him how he made the decision to just go for it. Well, when I started my year, I wasn't exactly doing more than just driving around birding in January. And uh, I found myself with a lot more time after I had parted ways with my former employer. And uh, I realized I'd seen more birds in January than almost anybody else had who had done an ABA big year previously. So I was on a, a great pace and uh, just kept birding. And as I kept birding throughout the year, I realized that 700 was possible. So that kind of became my goal. And in August, when I passed 700, Laura and John, two other big year birders, encouraged me to go for 750. And uh, I think their their encouragement and the camaraderie in sharing a goal made it possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you really spent a lot of the last part of your year birding with John and Laura I guess that's that's sort of the nature of a big year. You know, you're birding really hard in the first half of it to see as many breeding birds as possible. And then in the last part of the year, you're kind of all going to the same place uh, and seeing the same things. Was a lot of that planned out or was that just sort of the way it sort of worked out for you? You know, it, it kind of happened pretty spontaneously. And I'd like to add that we all were in the same places earlier in the year too, but with enough birds, enough rarities, in January and February, we overlapped and didn't even know it. And I actually overlapped more with Olaf in January, and we both were in Arizona together, and then overlapped again in February and teamed up to see the Zenaida dove and to get some South Florida birds like the smooth billed Donnie. And then later in the year, some of the birds that Laura and John had left, I also had left. There were birds that I hadn't planned on chasing on my own. However, with Laura and John saying, hey, we're, you know, we've got a boat where we're heading offshore to look for least storm petrol. Why don't you come with us? Their encouragement and cost sharing on those trips put some birds in my reach that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford. So it was around August that you decided that you, you realized that Neil's record was within your grasp. At that point, did you 
try and plan your year out a little bit more specifically uh, to try and see where you could get those those last few birds. I did, yeah. As as you probably know from following my blog, uh, much of my year was spent living out of the back of my Subaru, and I could only drive from birding spot to birding spot, and was doing so on a budget. And so, after I passed seven hundred, I realized I, I'd already pretty much spent the money that I'd allotted for this project and had been raising funds online, and that really made going to Alaska possible, as well as uh, doing a pelagic trip off the East Coast. And it started to add up, and I was able to to do some some math with the coded birds and figure out exactly what I needed to get to 750. And once I did that, I realized I just had a handful of birds, five or six, that if I got those, the common birds that I had saved to pursue later in the year, like greater prairie chicken and northern sawwood owl and dovekey, uh, I realized after I got those rare birds in uh in, at the end of October and early November, I realized that I could hit 750. Right, and you could kind of take it easy doing it too with those sort of low-hanging fruits still available for you. Exactly, and that allowed me throughout the second half of the year to really keep my my objectives and my focus uh, close in front of me as well as seeing birds. Um, I've been working on the birding project, which is my effort to have an EPIC big year. And so that EPIC is an acronym uh, the E is to educate people uh, using birds. The P is to preserve habitat in urban and rural areas. The I is uh, to inspire people to get out and explore the outdoors. And the C is to connect people and birds using technology. One of the, one of the great things about your big year was how uh, social media savvy you were, how you kept up everything on, on, on your blog. Um, what do you plan to do with all that, all that information, all those stories that you have kind of there for the picking? Oh, that's a great question, Nate. I actually have a, a lot of content that right now I'm just starting to sift and work through uh, because I didn't have any sort of uh, bank account really to fund my my big year. Um, I kind of just crowdfunded as I went. Uh, my book for me is a way to try and uh, repay some of the the debts that I assumed to to really push hard at the end and and do some airplane flights and get up to Alaska again. So my the book that I'm writing is a way not only to share my adventure with others in more detail than I was able to do on my blog, but it's a way to also tell a story in a different way than it's ever been told before. And I think the unique on my here, engaging with the people and working on education and conservation along the way, it makes it more than just about a big listing attempt. And I have hundreds of stories from birders that I've talked to. I have uh, advice from older birders to younger birders that I specifically asked them about. I have a really unique approach on uh, conservation issues across the country, talking to people about, uh, in their mind, what are some of the biggest threats facing birds. So I have a very local perspective from a lot of different geographic areas. And then I also have people's stories. And they've given me permission to record and, and share these in a way that can help birders and birding. And so I'm really hoping that uh, in the future I can I can continue to share people's stories and uh, connect birders through my presentations, through talks to uh, groups of young birders, and really hit the education side of it hard. So Christian Hagenlucker can be found on thebirdingproject.com and in the inevitable Big Year 2 sequel. Who, who is going to play you? Do you have any ideas? <laughs> I haven't been asked that question yet. 
Maybe Ryan Gosling. That's that, I thought that too. There you go. We gotta gotta bring in the teen girl demographic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Christian. You're welcome. Have a great day. Olaf Danielson's 2016 saw him end at 778 species, pending two provisionals, of course, an incredible total just behind John Weigel. He also set a new record for the lower 48 in his travels. Many of us followed along on Olaf's Big Year blog, which was remarkable for its transparency, dealing with the highs and often the lows of Big Year birding. He was particularly open about the resources needed to attempt an ABA Big Year, and I asked him why he decided to go that route on his blog. Well, I don't think people understand um, exactly what it takes to do this. And uh, somehow it's either made off as some romance because uh, or a romantic look at it because of the movie uh, and don't really understand. Uh, it's tough. And it's, you know, you, I mean, you can do a big year with no money, but, um, you know, it depends what your goal is. But if you really want to be serious about this and, you know, and on the flip side, you can spend a lot of money on this big year, and I'm sure some people have spent a lot more money than I have. And, and uh, I mean, you could, you know, go to what extreme to, to get the Gulfstream Five jet flying around and spend millions of dollars, uh, uh, even, uh, and would do a good job. So there's a. I, I wanted to be honest about this, if nothing else, that this is not. And, and the other flip side is, I sort of thought, you know, no one's going to believe me anyway, so I might as well be, uh, <laughs> I, I might as well be uh, out there and honest and. And as, as much as I can. And, and I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe that's too honest, but just the way it's what I was feeling. Uh, no, I thought it was really interesting, um, you know, because you actually put the put the dollar sign on there, which is, you know, as you say, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's, it's a big continent. It's hard to get around. It takes a lot of money. Everybody, everybody asks. And, you know, I don't have a good answer because I had so many frequent flyer miles I burned and I don't know what they're worth, but uh, but, uh, you know, and, and everybody asks, well, how much did it cost? How much did it cost? People I don't even know out, in the, out in, on a trail ask me this question. That's when I started putting it out there. You must have a lot of great stories from your year. Uh, we were speaking earlier before I started recording, and you mentioned something about you making the worst mistake that a big year burger yeah, has ever yeah, made. That, I was down in South Florida with a friend, and uh, we had just uh, we went up and we went to Fort Zachary Taylor after checking it out at night and seeing all these warblers. And we ran into uh, Mr. Goodrich uh, walking around and, and his friend who is also, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, who also lives in uh, Key West, asked us what we saw and we didn't, we had sold the warblers we had seen and they hadn't seen anything different. So about a half hour goes by, we're sitting by the uh, restroom and we're looking over at the fence and we see these same two guys bouncing around looking at the fence and our car is halfway parked in between. We're maybe... 50 yards from these guys and about 25 yards car and my body's taking a picture of him because he's a photographer and we're like well what they got eh, i don't think they probably got anything we we're just over there about a half an hour ago we didn't see anything <laughs> i said what should we do should we go over there and talk to them and see what they got or should we have breakfast we decided let's go have breakfast so i'm sitting <laughs> on so at noon i'm flying out of out of uh, out of key west and i'm sitting at the airport about ready to walk in a plane, and a friend uh, sends me a text. He says, did you go get the Vireo? Oh. You're Key West. And I said, what Vireo? I wasn't. I got it in Fort Lauderdale three days ago. <laughs> it was not that Vireo, the Cuban Vireo. The what one. Cuban yeah. Vireo? Uh, the one that Mr. Goodrich uh, just reported at the fort. You're in Key West, right? I said, yeah, I'm at the airport. He says, well, were you at the fort today? Yeah, I saw those guys. What <laughs> is the bird? I said, I said, no. And so he sends me a picture of the bird that had gotten just posted. 
And by now, I'm literally walking on the Delta plane going to San Antonio Uh to um, meet a friend of mine who was not a birder, who had just literally uh, called me as he had said they're closing the door on the plane uh, uh, 20 minutes before, and he was going to meet me in San Antonio. And I, I think to myself, well, he's not a birder. He's not going to uh, understand getting stood up by this. And then I quickly, as I'm sitting there, I quickly called the King Ranch and said, you know, where I was going to go on a tour the next day mm-hmm. to get the uh, Ferruginous Pygmy Owl. And they said, there's no other openings. There's no other open seats. We can't make special arrangements, blah, blah, blah. And so I said, ah, so I, the plane door closes and now I'm stuck. So I go to San Antonio. We go down to the King Ranch. We get the bird. Mm-hmm. Which is great. There's all these storms in Texas, so we 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 go up to uh, we go over to South Padre uh, that evening. There's huge fallout. The probably the second biggest fallout of warblers I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Benton Basham, my hero from college, is sitting there uh, pointing out the birds with his entourage, and it's just warblers everywhere. And I, I literally cleaned up all my missing warblers except for one, mm-hmm. and a lot of other uh, migratory birds. It was great. Next morning we go to so I'm on a roll. Next morning I, I go to Santa Ana and we I got a hook build kite. So I'm, I'm thinking what's well, great. Get back to San Antonio the next morning. And I have a choice. There's now a rare uh, marsh sandpiper in, in California. Uh-huh. There is still you know the the vireo still being seen in Florida. And I, I, I my buddy in Florida uh, sends me a text and says, well I just saw it yesterday. It's singing. It's setting up territory. I think it'd be here a couple days. If I were you, I'd go to California. So I, I go to California, you know, leaving right away in the morning. I, sh- I should be there at 10 o'clock California time. Every jet bridge, the one in, in San Antonio, yeah, the jet bridge uh, literally cracked. Uh, it delayed us getting out of there. Uh, Salt Lake City, where we connected, the jet bridge backing off rolled over the, the power cord that went to it and disconnected it. So that delayed us a half an hour. By the time I got to Sacramento, the jet bridge just didn't work, and we all had to deplane after an hour through the back of the plane using stairs. So I finally get to the place where the marsh sandpiper is, and the person goes, yeah, it just left about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, never was seen. So I'm, I, I stood there for about two hours. Nothing came back and never was seen again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that was a wrong choice. So then I go, uh, I said, well, what's around here? There's this, this uh, little stint over in the San Francisco Bay, and I was only a couple hours away. So so I go and get to the San Francisco Bay. I can't pick out this little stint, and I'm all depressed. And this young guy comes up to me, and he goes, you're Olaf, right? I said, yeah. I said, did you stay at this woman's place? He gives me the name in, in Connecticut about a month ago. I said, yeah. Oh, she's a friend of mine. I'll help you find a stint. I know exactly where it is. So I follow this guy up about a quarter mile on the dikes, and he goes, it's right there. So I guess the birding community, if you know the right people, yeah. it's very cool. So I was feeling all proud of myself. I scraped up something, got the little stint, and I right. was, and, you know, I'll get this in Alaska anyways. I didn't get one in Alaska, so it was a very lucky bird I got. But then the next morning, I got on a plane, flew all the way to Miami, landed at like 11 o'clock at night, drove to uh, Fort uh, Key West, because I wanted to be there at 8 o'clock when Fort Zachary Taylor opened. I spent the night sleeping for a few hours, a marathon, got got uh, harassed by the police at two places because they said, you know, we don't have any vagrancy or loitering here. You got to <laughs> move along, buddy. And so I'm walking around at five o'clock. I did get an Antillian Nighthawk fly over at the airport, so it was something. And then yeah. I was 
at the uh, Zachary Taylor at the crack of dawn or at eight o'clock when they opened, walked in there, and of course there was no Cuban Vireo that had left. But you got a little stint. <laughs> yeah, so that, all that was in a week. That was that was uh, six and a half days. That's so a crazy week. I had some good things and a lot of bad things, and yeah. Uh, and I'm uh, thinking to myself, if the whole year is like this, but then you know, like everything else, it kind of got better after that. Yeah. But uh, it was. Uh, but the Cuban Vireo will probably never be yeah. seen by me again. Yeah, figure birding is not for the faint of heart. No. One, one more question, probably the most important one. In the inevitable Big Year 2 sequel, who is going to play you? Now, who's the tall... Who, uh, my, I'm not the best uh, actor, but the tall guy from Chicago who is on comedy uh, stuff. Um, they go to the, the Wedding Crashers. He's the other guy in the... Besides oh, the Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Olaf. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for letting us follow along on your big year. Thanks for joining me, Olaf. Yep. And the best thing about big years is when they're over. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, congratulations on a great year. Thanks. Laura Keene started her year with the intention of doing a photo big year, but it quickly turned into something much bigger. That didn't stop her from setting a new photographic big year record of 741, an amazingly high percentage of her total of 762. She had some really great things to say about weaning yourself off the big year mentality, but I started by asking her how her year started and how her strategy evolved. When the year started, I had an option of four or five different cities where there are rarities. And my husband started out the year with me. So I said, I left it up to him. I said, you know, do you want to go to Arizona? There's Streetback Oriole, there's Rufusback Robin, or to Texas, where I can pick up the Northern Jacana and there's a Golden Crowned Warbler, or um, there was uh, the Western Smendalis was in Fort Lauderdale and the Red Wing was up in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And he chose British Columbia. Mm -hmm. So I started out there and also picked up Skylark but basically my focus those first few trips was just to go for the rarities and then pick up what other whatever birds were available mm -hmm. in the time that I had. And so and I said, I'll get on to the other stuff as soon as I can get get done with these rarities. I'll then I can just relax and then just enjoy the rest of the year and just take pictures. Right. And then I so then I went to Texas and <laughs> and it just seemed like these rarities just never ended. Every trip that I took was based on a rarity in that area, mm -hmm. and it, it really didn't stop the rest of the year. It seems like it just there was always a rarity out there yeah. for me to get. Yeah. And I ended the year with a couple of rarities that I that I should have gotten that I had the opportunity to, mm -hmm. but um, I kind of ran out of time. <laughs> the year got away from you there. Yeah. Has it been hard to transition into 2017 in a uh, in a non chasing birds capacity? You know, there there have been actually. A, a nice run of, of rare birds in the early part of 2017. Has it been difficult at all to see those birds and, and not want to immediately jump, jump out and go, go after them? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had to finally turn off the hourly alerts from eBird <laughs> off my phone because I couldn't handle it. It was just too stressful to look at that being at work and just wanting to be somewhere else. And um, I, I just finally had to, kind of shut things off, but I do plan to go chase the banana quit. Oh, yes. so. yeah. <laughs> that one looks like it's being uh, really accommodating, some really nice photo opportunities with it around the, the flowering trees. <laughs> I had a friend uh, texting me this morning that he was standing in front of it, so I, I, I can't, uh, I have to succumb to that desire. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice one. It's a, it's a colorful one, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So when I talked to Christian, he he mentioned a lot about how at the end of the year, it was really nice to travel with, with you and John, because it was nice to be around people who sort of understood the compulsion to go after some of these birds. Uh, there wasn't a lot of competition. Uh, you were just sort of enjoying being together and chasing similar birds and following a sort of similar path. Yeah, I mean, I never found it to be a competition for my myself. Mm-hmm. I the competition was with me, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, but I just I would I would say that having other people involved made me up my game and work harder to do better, just because um, I was doing it sometimes with them mm-hmm. and just the camaraderie. We were supporting each other and giving each other tips on, you know, things that we had seen. And it just became um, rather, rather easier just to, there were some trips that we could just do together and save money on. And um, it was really enjoyable on those, those times that we had uh, birds that were in common that we could go chase them together. Yeah. Yeah. It it certainly seems like there's a point in the year with a lot of big year birders where, you know, the, the, the wear sort of gets to you. And having other people around to kind of push you through that would be a real advantage that you all sort of shared. Yeah, I, I, I kind of planned my year differently because I wanted it to last the entire 12 months. I didn't want to have all the birds checked off, the easy birds checked off by June. And so there were birds that I kind of saved for the last minute just because I, I thought, you know, I really would like to have a trip to Florida in this in, in December to see you know, there were, there were just a few that I had left over. Um, and I, I kind of wanted it to be something that I could enjoy every, every month of the year and not be stressed out about a rarity showing up or my list being big enough. I, I wanted to just relax and, and enjoy every month of it. And I did. I'm sure you have a lot of really great stories about 2016. Is there any one experience that really stands out to you as significant? I think the whole trip to Attu was just, the most amazing experience for me. It, you know, kind of took me out of my comfort zone. I think it would anyone getting on a boat and, you know, riding out to Attu and it was just a wonderful pelagic on the way out and back. The opportunity to see the place that everyone has written about and my friends have talked about experiencing. It's just, just the most remote place to bird and the opportunities there when you know you're in an El Nino year and you know that there's opportunities mm-hmm. you uh, it was just it was just fan- a fantastic place to be the people that I was with couldn't have been better it was kind of an eclectic mix of birders but it ended up being just a fantastic group and we just had a great time I got to be friends with everyone but I'd say probably the best moment of that was probably the worst day where I kind of hit the wall being just exhausted putting my camera in my in my dry bag, strapping it to the bike, turning around and seeing an Eurasian hobby sitting in front of me and just sitting there looking at me <laughs> and knowing I, I can't pull on my camera or else it'll fly away. Fortunately, I was with Brandon Rio who was able to pull his camera out and grab some shots of it. But I, I, I just stared at it. And I mean, I didn't even need my binoculars, but I did put my binoculars up just to get a really close look of it, uh-huh. but um, it was it was amazing. We called other people, but they didn't get there in time. Only one other person was able to see it flying over. Hmm. Just seeing a code four bird and one that was as beautiful as that one, yeah. and as close and as a spectacular view. It's just uh, my only my only regret is that the other birders didn't get there in time to see it. Yeah, it's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my last question, and um, this is probably the most important one. 
Uh, have you given any thought as to who will play you in the inevitable Big Year Two <laughs> sequel? I, I, <laughs> people have asked that question a lot this year, and uh, <laughs> I think I think this year probably does merit a a view of um, all the characters involved. <laughs> Absolutely, we just need to get Mark Amasic, you know, on it. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking um, Diane Lane. I don't know if you're familiar with her. So that's that's my that's my. That's my one to play you. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Congratulations again on your great year, and uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you. In 2016, John Weigel set a new ABA area big year record with an astonishing 783 species. That total includes three pending provisional species. This smashed the previous record by more than 30. What people may or may not know, however, is that John is also the current holder of the Australia big year record, which he set in 2014. I talked with John to unpack his extraordinary year, and I started by asking him how his approach to the ABA area was different from his approach to Australia. You know, that's a good question, and the answer came to me in the first week of birding of 2016, uh, it was so different to my Australian experience uh, because I've actually done two big years in Australia and they were comparatively, uh, in a way they were harder but in another way they were easier because big year birding in Australia is not about chasing rarities, it's about going to habitats and looking for birds. You know, I had planned for well, for certainly for a year for my ABA big year try and uh, I had all kinds of um, schedules of going to California twice in the year and Florida certain times of the year. But the minute I started birding uh, in Arizona in, uh, on the 1st of January, it became obvious that it was all about chasing rare birds <laughs> that had accumulated. Yeah, so, so it was all about airports, flights, rent-a-cars, hotels, a little bit of birding, and then on again. Well, it helped that there were so many rarities in the ABA area in 2016. You certainly picked a, a phenomenal year uh, to do it where you kind of – there's a lot of talk about you know the El Nino year being sort of uh, helpful to, to bringing good birds to the ABA area. Did you have that in mind or was that just sort of – did you just sort of luck into it? I watched the, uh, the crazy number of rarities coming in through uh, the eBird reports in the latter part of 2015 and I, I – Followed all of the uh, internet discussions about weather, uh, uh, weather discussions about uh, if the El Nino was going to hang around, and I really wanted it to. And uh, sure enough, you know, those first four or five months, it appears that the El Nino effect was a factor. Um, however, um, you know, here we are in the first few weeks of 2017, and you know, El Nino is long gone. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, so whether we're looking at a, a grander uh, uh, effect of, of climate change, I don't know. But you're right; it was uh, it was the perfect year uh, to do what I did. Absolutely. And and there were certainly perfect. Another you know aspect of it was that you had these three other birders who were sort of doing it with you, uh, more or less. Um, did those other birders, you know, kind of keep you on your game? Did they, they focus you a little bit more or pull you through when, you know, there are obviously slow times whenever, uh, although, you know, 2016 didn't feel like there were any slow times, but there are times when, you know, the chasing birds gets a bit repetitive and it gets tiresome. Did having those other people there help you, you know, push you through those times? Uh, I was in for two rude shocks. Uh, one was uh, one was that uh, this was not going to be easy because of the nature of the beast. You know, the traveling and the and, mm -hmm. and the chasing of rarities and, and thinking that would be cleaned up in two weeks' time. 
uh, it went on for months. Uh, the other uh, shock was, of course, and, and I did know that um, at least one of the people doing a big year in 2016 would be doing it. And uh, it, put a, it put a complexion on it that I hadn't experienced in Australia because nobody does big years in Australia. I mean, you know, <laughs> and uh, so for some reason, it's, it's a two-edged sword, this idea of competition. Um, it's, it, it's almost ungentlemanly to even say, yes, there was a competition, but <laughs> it is the case there was, and it was something that drove everyone. I think yeah. even uh, Laura and Christian, who didn't have visions of, of setting new records, uh, but uh, they got caught into the same spirit of, of of pushing themselves harder, and I have no doubt, Nate, that all four birders who did big years got at least ten birds more than they would have yeah. gotten if they'd been on their own. You you made some you made some real significant efforts for some really difficult birds in the ABA areas, things like a you know gray-headed chickadee, for instance. I mean that that was a phenomenal story. What what pushed you to go and and find this bird that's you know almost mythical in North America. You, you, you hear little whispers from people on your team and people who are supporting you and, <laughs> and, uh, and guys like Neil Hayward and John Pushock. And um, so I got a little whisper from one of those guys that one of the hunting guides who also does birding guides and worked with um, Aaron Lang in the past with, <laughs> with the rafting for chickadees. And, and I thought, you know, when I was planning my big year, I thought Brooks Range has got to go, got to get snowshoes and see a gray-headed chickadee, you know, and, and realized there was like no information on that bird. Yeah, yeah. So, so with that, the, the little story trickled through um, a, a group of four of us, which happened to be uh, the other, they were all big year birders, uh, uh, Laura and uh, Christian from this year, and, and Jay uh, Leno from, uh, Jay Leno. <laughs> Jay Lehman. <yeah>. Lehman. <laughs> One of the Lehman brothers that aren't really brothers. That's right. Jay, Jay Lehman, uh, 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 Laura, Christian, and I got on a bush flight and headed up to uh, this undisclosed place. And uh, we had, we, we all sort of maybe at exactly the same tree where they'd been seen. We, we all kind of thought maybe we saw the bird, but uh, with with all the boreal chickadees around, it was a bit tough, uh, and so it, we failed. Um, however, I went back. Uh, there were all sorts of things going on. I was going back to the mainland, back chasing the um, great egret, uh, and uh, so I said, "Well, how much to get in with just the piper cub, just the single prop, and and the the bush pilot did a deal with me because you know he wanted to go anyway and." So we got up there and we uh, saw the boreal chickadees, but this time we had the unmistakable uh, mm -hmm. on two little occasions that were quick uh, with a big white ear patch and the gray head and it was it was a different bird. So unfortunately, without any images, it doesn't. It's never going to be the same. I think there's going to be an, uh, an interest in that spot though, and I, I think yeah. in the course of time, people will, will make a better effort. Uh, but that that was that was a bird I put a lot of effort into. But a degree of difficulty is high on on gray headed gray headed chickadee for sure. Mm. I'm sure you have a, a ton of really great stories from 2016. Is there any one experience that really stands out to you as uh, as memorable? I will share this one. Uh, at the end of the year, um, it was a tumultuous time, and I know it was for you know other big year birders. And there was a cascade of rarities that were coming into the continent that mm. weren't helping me and. And uh, I, I, I took, the, once again, a little whisper uh, from Johnny Pushok that um, somebody had seen uh, whooper swans out on ADAC in early December. And um, 
my wife Robin came out to join me six times this year, including during that last week. Uh, she knew I needed propping up, yeah. and out she came because it was a, it was getting a bit tough. I, I was having a lot of trouble getting new birds, so we gambled and got on a flight. You know, they're usually canceled from uh, Anchorage out to to ADAC, and spent two or three days visiting all the accessible lakes. No luck. It was such a wonderful way to end the year that in that last hour of sunlight at Andrew Lake, scanning, and you know how your scope hits something like that, and it stops, but the brain doesn't quite get it. <laughs> Three or four seconds later, I just, honestly, Nate, I just collapsed. I, it was everything that year had come in that moment, and uh, it was tough, but then... To, to know that, A, I didn't actually miss that last bird of the year, the banana quit, because I'd seen it in the rarities report that morning and thought, oh, if I had stayed right. on the mainland, it was killing me. Complete so opposite that, side of the continent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that night, uh, I could see nobody reported the banana quit. I was in the little, I don't know if you've been to ADAC, but there's mm -hmm. where there were 4,500 people. It, it's an abandoned, it's a ghost town. Of a oh, place. I've seen photos, yeah. I've never been and uh, so there's this little restaurant called the Bellbird, or sorry, the Bluebird Cafe, and, and really nice ex-military people trying to make a go of it. And so here we are, kind of like, kind of reminiscent of that scene in that movie, uh, the big year movie. Uh, I brought in a couple of bottles of champagne, a couple of locals, and, and to, to just loosen up for the first time in months <laughs> and realize that, uh, you know what, I, 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 at least the aspect of seeing the most birds in a year I did that. It's over. It ended on a high note. So that's my most memorable occasion. Of course, I've forgotten so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that almost needs a little, almost needs an entire you know year to sort of unpack uh, after it's all over. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Although you know, it, it seemed like five years on the road for me. I can't mm -hmm. speak for the other three, but the minute. My, I walked out of the airport in Sydney, uh, out of an airport for the last time in a long time, let me promise you. Um, <laughs> it was as if it was three months, and I felt so at home, and I got to work, and um, you know, we're getting actually doing real work for Tassie Devil projects right now. Mm -hmm. And um, it all feels good, but you're right, it's going to take a long, long time to, uh, to, 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 to come to grips with a lot of the aspects of that year. I'll come to my last question. In a way, I think it's the most important one. Uh, in the uh, in the Big Year Two sequel, which is you know coming down the pipe, I'm sure it's you know inevitable. Uh, who is going to be playing John Weigel? Oh, Robert Redford. But we got <laughs> that's who I thought too. That was my. We got to turn the clock back on that man though. <laughs> he's you know, he's ageless. He's ageless. <laughs> no, I, I'm afraid that uh, I think there was a 45 million dollar loss on the first one, so I don't think this <laughs> anytime soon. This year had a lot more to work with than 1998 it's year. It's true. It was a pretty <laughs> remarkable year. And it will take books, I think, to get the full uh, breadth of, of what it was like for all four birders. We all made lots of friends this year. Real high points, uh, Nate. So even though you know, in, it's easy for me to spit out that uh, wow, it was hard and wow, it was challenging, mm -hmm. there were so many wonderful experiences. And, and, and I really love the idea of you know, some people don't like it uh, that you get to a, a stakeout and there's a hundred scopes and binoculars. But you know, when I'm driving closer and closer to that stakeout, and you get the pre-game jitters and the sweaty palms, when I 
see through the windscreen that there's people high-fiving. It's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for for kind of letting us in on your big ear. You really set the mark high. So congratulations for that, and and thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you talking to me. Thanks, Nate, and thanks for the the, the wherewithal of the ABA to do so many cool things, including uh, birding and conservation. Great job. Yeah, thanks for that. All right, thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thanks very much. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. You can find us at www.aba.org. You can also find this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and a couple of other podcast dispensaries. If you've made it this far, I hope I can assume that you like what we're doing here. If you do, please head over to the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or even just a rating. It helps get our name out there and it helps people find us. We really appreciate it. President of the ABA and executive producer of this podcast is Jeff Gordon. Technical production is by John Lowry with help from Greg Neese and David Hartley. John's band, The Hangabouts, does the music here. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more from them at www.hangabouts.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. On the latter, we are at ABA. That is not to be confused with the defunct Professional Basketball Association. Uh, You can email me at podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Can I get a large coffee? Is your coffee destroying bird habitat? Maybe it's time you switch to ABA Songbird Coffee, grown on certified bird-friendly farms. To learn more, visit aba.org.